going to kick it off right. We're going to dig in with the message titled, The Power of Pruning. We're going to look at pruning and what it means for us in our lives. I want to start by reading the words of Jesus Christ in the book of John, chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So as we look at this today, I want us to pay close attention to the two elements of what Jesus said. He said, every branch that does not bear fruit gets cut off. And every branch that does bear fruit, it will be cut back so that it bears even more fruit. So as we're starting, I want you to write this down because this is simply what pruning is. Pruning is cutting off and cutting back. Cutting off and cutting back. And in 2020, as we start this year, there are some things in your life that need to be pruned. They need to be cut back in your life and they need to be cut off out of your life. That's what pruning is. And sometimes throughout the season, we need to prune our lives. We need to look at our lives and go, hey, I need to prune this out. I need to cut that out. But then there's also times when God will prune your life. That's not exciting. That's when it hurts. That's when you lose a job or a family member or something that you have is no longer yours. But when God prunes your life, I recommend not getting your fingers in the shears. Let God do what God needs to do. Pruning and the purpose of pruning is to become more productive and more fruitful. Write that down. That's the reason we do it. If I have a rose bush in my backyard, and I used to have a bunch of rose bushes, but I don't have any uh, anymore. But I would go out and prune the rose bush, and you would find the dead branches, cut them off, and then there'd be some living branches that they were kind of hard to cut off because they were actually going to bloom and they were alive. But you knew that for the overall health of the rose bush, they had to be cut off. So there are some things in your life. Not just dead branches. We all have some dead branches in our life that need to be cut off. But we also all have some living branches that aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not the best things that we need to prune out of our lives. And so I want to look in our outlines for a minute at four areas in our lives that we need to prune, that God wants to prune in our lives. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. I need to prune my thought life. Our thoughts. We don't have to think everything that comes into our mind. We don't have to focus on it, meditate on it, be consumed by it. Just because it pops in your mind doesn't mean you have to continually think about it. So it is time to change what we think about in 2020. It is time to change how we think in 2020. In Proverbs, there's a verse 
In chapter 4, verse 23, these are the words of Solomon. He's the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Let's read that one out loud together. It's short and it's sweet. Here we go. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. One more time. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. It's true. What we think, we become. What we think, we end up doing. And so in the NIV, the New International Version, it says the same verse. It's just in a different translation. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says that it is the wellspring of life. So above all else, above everything in in your entire work week, family week, emotional Capacity above all else that you guard your heart, guard your mind, because your mind shapes your life. Wouldn't it be great if in 2020 we could lop off, we could prune off all the fearful thoughts that we have? Some of you, you're afraid all the time. You worry all the time. Wouldn't it be great if you could cut out the insecure thoughts about yourself and replace them with confidence in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we could replace all the greedy thoughts that we have with thoughts of generosity? Wouldn't it be great if we could replace all those thoughts of rejection and replace them with thoughts of acceptance? If we could cut out all the negative thoughts and replace them with positive thoughts? Well, the good news is we can. We can. Some people think that you can't change your thoughts like they're just running wild and out of control the initial thought might be how many of you have ever thought something really weird and you thought dude I am messed up for thinking that anybody like the other day I was driving down the road and a cat ran across and I thought kill him run him over I know that's kind of messed up but as we know cats are of the devil wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to do dogs are going to heaven I was at the Clemson-Ohio State game. Clemson. I did the chapel for Clemson. And it was amazing. I was invited to do the Clemson chapel. Pastor Andre got invited to do Ohio State's. Before we went and did them, I said, may the better sermon win. But I was at the Clemson game, and there was this dude, he was just so drunk, like... Stumbling, I thought, trip him, see what happens. I literally had the thought, just, he's already looks like a fool, trip the dude and see how bad you can. I didn't keep thinking about it, I moved on. So you can change the channel of your mind. You can. It's like watching TV and you're flipping through the stations. I don't like scary movies, I never have, not as a teenager, not as a young adult. It's never been my thing. I've never really figured out why people like to see like scary movies. So I get on a scary movie, I don't have to stay and be like, whoa, I'm getting sucked into the vortex of something I don't want to watch. I don't do that. I change the channel. And the same is true with the thought. You can change the channel. You don't have to keep thinking about and focusing about those thoughts. Now, the problem with our thought life is this, is that they're habitual. The way we think is a habit that we've developed over our entire lifetime. 
Some of you think negatively by nature or you're critical by nature. That is a learned thought process. You learned it. And you learned it over time. But the good news is we can relearn our thought patterns. We can relearn how to think. And it's important because what you're thinking about, it shapes your life. Proverbs 23, verse 7, Solomon said, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's a good verse. It's totally true. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think, you not only become what you think you are. Have you ever been around or met somebody that they are a beautiful person? They are physically like, woo, but they think they're ugly. I've been around. Have you ever been around somebody that's thin and they think they're fat? Most women in America. Have you ever been around somebody that's like overly confident? And you're thinking like, why do you have that kind of confidence? You should not be that confident. But they think they are the man, right? You ever been around somebody that's just really heavy, blown out, out of shape, but they think they are just sexy as all get out? It's because what you think you are, what you think you become. And so he says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Here's an important question to think about. If our life is shaped by our thoughts, what shapes our thoughts? Because if we're going to change what we think and how we think, we have to learn where it comes from. And your thoughts are shaped by your intake. What you consume, consumes you. Your intake is what you read, what you listen to, who you listen to. It could be music. It could be a movie. Listen, just because your family member is a family member doesn't mean you have to listen to their gossip. Just because they're a family member doesn't have, mean you have to listen to them being critical all the time or being negative all the time. So what you consume, it consumes you. If you're around negative people, you will be negative people. If you're around positive people, you will become a positive person. It takes time, but the pattern can be broken. You can change what and how you think. Change the channel. Number two, the second thing we need to prune in our life, this is going to be hard and heavy, and you're going to hate me by the time it's done. I need to prune my vices. Vices are those addictions that we have in life. We all have them. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're addicted. Go ahead and tell them right now. You have addiction problems. You have addiction problems. You need help. Look at somebody else and tell them you need help. You need to get help today. Don't wait. Everybody in this room is an absolute fire hot mess there's nobody that's not everybody's messed up everybody's messed up because we're human and because we're human we're messed up we're flawed completely flawed but addiction 
is when something controls your life. I know we immediately think of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll when we think of addiction. But that's a very limited perspective of addiction. Addiction is so much bigger than that. The word addiction, it comes from a Latin term that means to be enslaved by, mastered by, or bound to. That's what it means. I'm addicted. I'm enslaved by it. I'm imprisoned by whatever this is that I'm addicted to. I'm bound by it. When you're enslaved or bound by something, you're addicted to that something. You cannot go without it. You can't go without it. It controls your life. If you don't have it, all hell is going to break loose in your life. It could be as simple as caffeine or the Impact Church coffee, which is amazing, or the donuts. Absolutely. What are you enslaved by? Now, most of the time, addicts don't think they're addicts. They don't think they're addicts, but we can become addicted to anything. We become addicted to a relationship. We can become addicted uh, to pornography. There's sex addicts, drug addicts, alcoholics. Uh, There are people who are shopaholics. It's a real thing. People who are foodaholics. It's a real thing that they cannot control what they eat. It can be something as simple, but yet it is a major thing as sugar. Right? And so there's these things. A way of thinking is also an addiction. Some people, they, only, they can only live life if there's drama. They wouldn't know how to live if it was like peaceful for a day. Those kind of people, if there's no drama, they create the drama. Right? So what is it that we are bound to, that we are bound by? Now, again, I said most people that are alcoholics, most people that are addicts don't think they're addicts. Most people that are alcoholics don't think they're alcoholics. I'm going to use alcohol as an example today. I could have picked anything, but I'm picking alcohol. Some of you in here are addicted to alcohol. You're an alcoholic. You love Jesus, but you're an alcoholic. I did a funeral yesterday for a gentleman about my age who died from his addiction. He loved Jesus. He came to church every week, but he's no longer with us because of his addiction, because of this life-controlling issue. Some of you are here, you're alcoholics. So let's just talk to you for a minute. The first step to freedom is being real. I'm an alcoholic. That's the first step. Now, I'm not some holy roller, this holier-than-thou preaching to people that aren't, you know, as high and mighty as me. I've drank my fair share of alcohol. I've done my fair share of drugs. I decided Thursday to quit. Been, been sober two days so I can preach this sermon. I don't drink alcohol. My wife doesn't. And it's not because we are holier than thou. It's because 
we have a long family line of addicts. People who have died. People who have been imprisoned. People who have lost their marriages, their families, their children, their lives because of their addiction. For me, alcohol is not a good thing. I would not be your pastor if I drank alcohol. Here's why. The Bible says, don't drink to get what? (laughs) Drunk. Why else would I drink? I mean, if I'm going to drink, that's who I am. I'm all all, all in or nothing. You know what I'm saying? So if I asked everybody in here, I said, how many of you think The Bible says it's wrong to drink alcohol. How many of you think it's right to drink alcohol? It would be a lot of you who would say, yeah, I don't think it's it's okay. And there would be a lot of you that go, well, of course it's okay. I had, you know, some champagne this morning with my eggs. You know? I'm a little buzzed in church, you know? I understand. Okay, Is is it a sin to drink alcohol. Some people say yes. There's a lot of men and women of God around the world, religious leaders who know the word inside and out who go, yes, it is a sin. And then there are some that go, well, no, it's not a sin. What the Bible calls sin is if you drink to get drunk. People go, well, Jesus had wine. But if you study the New Testament, the word wine is used... 33 times, and some of those times it's fermented, and some of those times it's not fermented. So, what's the right answer? The right answer is, is that it's different for everybody. Let me tell you why. It says don't drink to get drunk. Okay, let me ask this question. What is drunk? Is drunk I'm buzzing a little? Is drunk I'm slurring my words? Is drunk when my vision starts going like this? Is drunk when I pass out? Is drunk when I puke all over the place? What is drunk? And if you're a drinker, you're like, oh, it's if I die. Like if I die. Like if I drink and die, I'm drunk. <laughs> if you're not a drinker, you think it's if I'm buzzed. If, you, if somebody gets buzzed, they're, they're drunk. So, Here's the problem, is there's this gray area that God speaks about, but he also gives us the human brain to make a wise decision. Let's read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, some of you say we can do anything we want to. Doesn't that sound like a teenager? And then Paul says, but I tell you not everything is good for us. Paul's stance was, I refuse to let anything have power over me. Another translation says, I refuse to let anything master me. I will not be mastered by anything. Mastered means I'm addicted to it. So I'm speaking to you drinkers. Did you know that Costco is the number one Costco in the western United States for sales And profits, do you know why? The alcohol. You can go buy like a $900,000 bottle of wine over there. Okay? Listen, I'm talking to you drinkers. I'm not an alcoholic. 
Here's, here's a little test for you. Don't drink for 30 days. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Don't smell it. And if you can go 30 days without a touch of it, then you're probably okay. But if you say, I'm going to go 30 days, baby. It's January 4th. I'm going to go the next 26 days. I'm going to make it to the end. And if you can't make it, you have a problem. You have a problem. I'm speaking about alcohol right at the moment. But this goes for anything that masters us, that controls us, that enslaves us. Again, I said it from the beginning. Everybody in here is messed up. We all have problems. That's why we started Celebrate Recovery at Impact Church. It's one of the most powerful ministries we have in this church because in our church, it's okay to not be okay. At our church, it's okay to like tell other people you're junk because that's the first step in walking into healing. I've never met anybody in my life that woke up one day and wanted to be addicted to, you know, anything. It's like, man, I just hope by the end of the day I'm addicted to heroin. I hope by 2020, I, man, I, man, I'll almost be dead from my addiction. I've never met anybody. So why do we even get into these situations in the first place? I have found that most addictions are birthed out of our afflictions. There's something broken in me. There's something hurting. There's something. There's a problem deep within me. And I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to cover it up. I'm trying to numb it. I'm trying to not think about it. And because we're human, we look to all the broken answers to fix our broken problems. And what happens is I end up treating the symptom and not the problem. And so I feed this addiction. And I feed it and I feed it and I feed it. Now listen, if you're addicted to something today, something controls you, something masters you. The good news is, is that the Bible said, the words of Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. You can be free. But you'll never be free hiding in the dark. You'll never be free until you admit it. And you go, you know what, I have a problem. And you take responsibility. And you start taking the steps to pruning some of this stuff out of your life. we got to prune our vices. Let's look at number three. This one's a lot more fun, so... You can hang in this one. I need to prune my schedule. Some of your drug, for some of you, your drug of choice is busyness. For some of you, you're too busy. Busyness is your addiction. If we could just keep ourselves busy, then I don't have to think about my problem. If I just work, 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 if I never go home, I don't have to look my broken marriage in the face. I'll just work and keep working. If I just go, 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 if I go on this adventure and that adventure, if I just stay busy, then I never have to think about my brokenness. The question I think we have to answer today 
as we kick off the new year is for those of us that we are that person, busy, 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 the question is, is why? Why? What is the point? What are you trying to do, accomplish? What is the reason? You say, oh, I've got, that's just because it's the way God wired me, PT. I got drive, baby. I have drive. Maybe. Maybe. I read an article last week that said most of the time, the most successful people are the most insecure people. Is that interesting or what? And I thought, how true is that? Because if I can just prove how great I am, if I could just prove how smart I am, if I could just prove how successful I am, then it feeds my security. But the problem is it's a false sense of security. It's built on, as the Bible talks about, the sand, the sinking sand. Instead of Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. And so listen, as long as you confuse your worth with your work, you're always going to be busy. And so some of us, we just simply need to look at 2020 and look at our week, seven days a week and go, I need to prune out this out of my life and I need to prune this back in my life. And some of those will be dead branches and some of those will be living branches. Some of those, they're not bad things, they're just not great things. If you could look at your life week by week and go, here are the 10 things that are the most important things to me. Here are the 10 things. I've shared this illustration before, but it's an illustration of a professor talking to his students. And he has this jar and all these rocks, big rocks, medium-sized rocks, little rocks, sand. And he said, we're going to do a little illustration on priority. I want a volunteer to come up here and put all the rocks in the jar. And a student comes up and he starts filling the rocks up, filling the rocks up pretty soon. The jar is full, but there's all these rocks left over. Student says it can't be done. Professor says it can be done. Let me show you. And he starts by taking the biggest rocks and putting them in the jar. He takes the biggest one. Then he takes the medium-sized one, puts them in the jar. Then he takes the small one. Then he takes the bag of sand and pours it, and it all found, and it all fits perfectly. So here's the question. What are the big rocks in your life? Those are supposed to go in first. What is the biggest rock? Say it out loud. Five people. You're at church. You're at freaking church. And five people gave me the answer. What is the biggest rock? God, that's good. So we're making progress. Some theologians in the making right now. Okay. So God is the biggest rock. I think we'd all agree. God is the biggest rock. But what happens more times than not is a day goes by and the biggest rock never got put in the jar. Because I was so busy putting all these other little rocks in the jar. I got to take my kids to school. I got to, yeah, I got to go to work. I got to pick them up. I got to take them to sports. I got to eat. I got to eat. I get to eat a couple times a day. I got to watch TV. You got to watch the game, whatever it is. And then we go, man, the biggest rock, the most important thing in our lives never made it in the jar. Let's take it week by week. What's the most important thing for every week? God. 
Oh, but man, it's Sunday, but man, I'm going to go jet skiing. I'm going to hit the lake. I'm going to barbecue. I'm going to watch some football. And then 52 calendar weekends go by, and you went to church 13 times. But I'm in love with God. He's number one in my life. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. You guys come to church because you like that I keep it real, and sometimes I rip you guys new ones. And if it's your first time today and you don't like that, there's about four churches down the road. I can give you the names after church. If you want a sermon, Eddie, for the Christian Eddie. No, I'm just kidding. So what happens is, and it's not like it's intentional. It's not like it's like I'm just a bad person, man. I didn't go to church. No, it's not that. It's not that you don't love God. It's about prioritizing your life. It's about taking control of your calendar. It's about taking control of your schedule. It's about taking care of your priorities and taking control of them. What's the second biggest rock? The same five people. <laughs> family. Family. That's the second one. How many times does family not get put in that jar that day? I didn't spend any time with my kids. You know, I read an article that said the average amount of time that a father spends with his child is seven minutes a day. Well, it's not that I don't love my child. I love my child, but I got to work. I got to this. I got to that. I got to, yeah, we got to, got to, got to, because we're putting all the other little rocks in the jar first. And it's a great illustration. And I want to ask you today, if you could say, man, what are the 10 rocks that really matter? Or what are the five rocks that really matter? And the rest of them, you go, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I might have to say no to some good things that I do so I can say yes to some great things that I do. That is what God wants us to do. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said these words. He said, seek first. It's not in your outline. Look at me. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added unto you. Make me first, I'll take care of you. Make me first, I'll take care of you. Make me first, I'll take care of you. Put me number one. Put me number God is a jealous God. It says in Exodus 20, he's a jealous God. He wants to be first in your life. He wants to be first. Not second, not third, not fifth. He wants to be number one. It, in the Bible, it likens our relationship with Jesus to a marriage. Could you imagine if I married Natalie and we said yes and we kissed and we went on our honeymoon and then I went out with like three other ladies every week, but then I came back on Sunday or I came back 13 Sundays a year. We're still married, right? I love you. It's such a great depiction because he says we are the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5. We're the bride of Christ. And it's such a great depiction of our relationship. He is a jealous God. He says in, a, in Exodus that you shall have no other gods before me. It's not so, there are no other gods. There are no other real gods. What the heck does that mean? It means we make things First, in front of God. Anything that's in front of God is a God. Anything that is in front of God is an idol. So, he wants to be first. We need to prune our schedules. 
Let's look at the fourth thing. I need to prune my relationships. Oh, this one's going to hurt worse than number two. <laughs> See, I give you an easy one and a hard one, an easy one and a hard one. Fun one and not so fun. Relationship. You know that some of you would grow like you've never grown before in your relationship with Jesus Christ if you'd cut the devil out of your life? You have some friends maybe in 2020 that you need to take a step back from. You have some friends in 2020 that you might have to take a step away from. Pruning. I'm cutting back, but I'm also cutting out. Man, PT, that's messed up. Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to be friends with everybody? It does. But we're not supposed to be homies with everybody. Best friends. Equally yoked. We're not supposed to be yoked with everybody. So the word of God says, Paul said this, he said, do not be misled. He said, bad company corrupts good character. He's right. Bad company. It doesn't mean they're evil. They're just bad company because they are keeping you away from growing in Christ like you could be growing. So it's bad company. So who are those people in your life that are keeping you from growing in Christ like you want to grow in Christ? Pruning our relationships. Now, I taught this a couple times last year, but everybody has two types of friends. We have casual friends and we have close friends. Everybody. Casual friends is a result of, of circumstance, right? You happen to be in my class. You happen to be an employee that works alongside. You're a colleague. You happen to be on my team. You happen to be in my family. I don't, I don't tell anyone you're a part of my family. I don't, I don't claim you because they're weird. Anybody have that family member? You're like, dear God, I hope nobody ever knows. They're so whacked out. If you're not raising your hand, it's probably you. You, you are the family member. And so they're a result of circumstance, but close friends, close friends are a result of choice. You choose them. You choose them. How do you choose them? How do you choose a spouse for life? Some of you are single in here today. I want to I talk to you. How do you choose a spouse for life? Oh, I just hope they're good looking. They're kind. They don't need to bring sexy back. They already did. They look good. Okay, let me just say, I, I don't think God's going to want you to marry somebody that you think is but ugly. You're not going to be like, well, he loves Jesus, but gosh, he's ugly. But, you know, God's going to give you <laughs> a desire for, for them. But the Bible talks about being equally yoked. And I love this description because it was used a lot in Bible times. And the idea of being yoked was where you would take two oxen, put them together. And it was a board that went over the top of them. And it linked them together so that they could plow the fields stronger. They could do better together than they could by themselves. Here's what I've seen a lot. 
there's a girl who meets a guy. They like each other. They're physically attracted to each other. One of them doesn't believe in Jesus. One of them doesn't go to church. One of them doesn't think God is real. The other one loves Jesus and thinks God is real and have seen the power of God in their life. And they settle. And anytime you settle, you will pay a price. And I have sat with countless married couples where someone comes to me and says, I need prayer, PT. I don't know what to do. My husband is not a Christian. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to pray before we eat. They don't want to do a devotional at night with our children. I don't know what to do. And you know what my answer is? I can't help you. If I could rewind time and I could tell you kick them to the curb, that would be the answer. Because when you're unequally yoked, it's easy at first and it gets harder as it goes on. Harder and harder and harder. I know some of you think, well, I'm a missionary. I'll do some missionary dating. I'm going to win them to Jesus. You're not going to win them to Jesus. Find somebody who's already won to Jesus. Equally yoked. But it's not just about spouses. It's about our closest friends. I'm talking about growing in Christ. I'm talking about becoming spiritually mature. I'm talking about becoming everything that God wants you to become. If you want that in your life, then we have to look at some hard things in our life that we might need to prune off in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to close us in prayer today.